Yeah, we were excited uh, about camp uh, this week. I do encourage all of you, so you know that um, for Vintage, we have said, hey, listen, we are a, a church that in our children and in our youth, every summer we do these camps, and they're always life-changing. And so I know you guys a couple weeks ago were praying for, for our children's camp, and thank you for doing that. God did amazing things. And uh ask you the same thing this week as we pray for our youth. Uh, we recognize in going, you know, even as we've been talking about, even last week, we had an honest family conversation about everything that's going on here, what's going on with our youth, and this really kind of the, this the difficulty that we find ourselves in. If you, did not, if you weren't here last week, I, I encourage you to take about 30 minutes and listen to the podcast from last week, kind of fill you in everything that's going on at Vintage and kind of the direction that we're going as we dive into the this, this season of healing and restoration that we're in for our body. But we, all, we believe this week is going to be a, a really integral time for our youth and for them as they really take a, a week away from phones, which is a big deal as we all know, right, to pull away from phones, just to, to give themselves to relationship, obviously with one another, but primarily with Jesus. And this is a real, and every time, this, this camp's been going on for like 53, 54 years, right? A lot of you have been going for not quite that long, but some of you maybe have. And, and we recognize every year that God does something unique and something special and something powerful. And, and, and we're believing the same thing for this week. And so I just want to, I want to ask and I want to invite and encourage each of you to, to be in prayer. Be in prayer for our youth and uh, that God would do the thing that he wants to do. And specifically in the context of this kind of healing and restoration of hearts and and uh, during this season. And that's what we're going to kind of dive into this morning. Again, just talking about the nature of healing and restoration. So this message this morning obviously is for the season that we're in at Vintage. But also applies, I really honestly believe, to every single one of us in the context of, of life that we find ourselves in. Whether it's right now or if we look back, we, this message may ring true for, for many of you. Or recognizing it may be a prophetic and that it speaks to something in the future that God is going to prepare your heart for. So this morning, I just invite you to dive into the message and allow God to begin to, to stir something inside of you in the context of life. Because you understand the under, you understand, all of us understand the nature of, of, of loss and experiencing loss of any form, whether it's the loss of innocence, the, the loss of sobriety, the loss of a loved one, or the loss of a leader. We all have experienced this in some level, and these moments may feel like it, we have been standing on a firm foundation, we've been thrown from it, and now we find ourselves, right, trying to, trying to find the foundation again. It's like being on a boat and all of a sudden someone pushing you off and you weren't ready for it, and you find yourself just flailing in the water without a life jacket, hoping that you can make it, whatever it may be. And so in the moment, right, we, over, we feel overcome in this, this, these seasons of loss. We feel overcome with a loss of stability. That's what it feels like. It's a loss of stability, a loss of normalcy, and in that we, we long to be rescued, we long to feel stable again. This morning I want to just read from a very, very familiar story. You have heard it. I'm going to read the entire thing. I can't go through verse by verse this morning, but I do want to pull some things from it this morning. One that I think that make you recognize that the nature of, of, of loss and how it impacts all of us, and then, and then speak to a promise that we we receive from Jesus in the moment. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. 
It's the road to Emmaus, the walk to Emmaus, verses 13 through 35. Yes, I'm going to read the entire thing this morning. And so you can just focus. If you have your Bibles turned, if not, you can just look on the screen. Let's dive in. It says, Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Silly Jesus. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, past tense, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman, just as the women had said, but they did not see. He, Jesus, said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. We have discussed many, many times at Vintage, but with the death of Jesus, every one of his disciples and followers would have felt the mind-numbing pain of loss. Like Jesus was the center of their universe and his loss would have literally crushed their souls. We see a picture of this with his two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Look at just the two expressions of loss. First in verse 17, it tells us as Jesus walked up to them, they remained with their faces downcast to the ground, unable to or not desiring to look at the one who was walking up. Right, they're literally there. Someone walks up and rather than look up to see who it is, they can't even bring themselves to lift their head in the moment. So downcast. Verse 21 gives us the heart of their loss as they say, we had hoped again, past tense, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Past tense, and since they had lost all hope, these disciples experienced a great loss. It was crushing. Had hope. That's always so overwhelming when there's hope lost. 
And this is where they are in the moment. For, for them, it seemed like nothing would ever be the same again. Isn't that kind of a sentiment in the context of loss that you experience? You're, you're going through life and something happens and then you have this moment, you have this feeling, you have this idea of loss and the idea goes through your mind is, is am I ever going to be the same again? Am I ever going to be normal? Am I ever going to feel life again? Am I ever going to be, come back to this place of normalcy, of, of life and of breakthrough, whatever it may be? And we live in this place and so the disciples, again, being human beings, is, is experiencing great loss, downcast in the moment, having lost all hope, we would say in this that they would probably have to be wondering ever the same again, because all of their hope rested in Jesus. Literally, all of their future resided in Jesus. They anticipated this kingdom coming, Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Christ, as they call him, basically coming and being this king who would establish himself as ruler in the moment, and they would be with him, and they'd be on the good guy's side. Right? They would be the warriors too with Jesus and they'd be on the quote unquote winning side redeeming Israel. They were expecting that. So all of their hopes and all of their future dashed in the moment. Like it's so easy to read scripture and just read it as a Bible story and forget that they were real people like you who had real emotions in the moment overwhelmed. They had walked and talked with Jesus. They had seen the, literally seen the miracles and watched as demons were cast out and his eyes were opened and his arms and legs grew. Those types of things. They saw those things, right? And in the moment still, they're just all hope is lost. All sense of future is lost. In his book with burning hearts, Henry Nouwen describes two ways how the disciples must have felt in their loss. One was the loss of dreams. And the second would be the loss of faith, the loss of dreams. Each of us and they themselves were made up of desires, made up of expectations. You know this for yourself, right? You were made up of desires, things you long for. Your life is made up of expectations of what you expect will happen in the day and tomorrow. You live with expectations. Listen, the only reason people get frustrated in life is because they have unmet expectations. That's the only reason they get frustrated. Because they expected something to happen, and it did not, and so they get frustrated. There's a loss of expectations, a loss of dreams. They had very real dreams, right? And we, we dream of specific things in life, a specific life itself, of a specific love, of a specific outcome. And when those things don't happen, our dreams are crushed, our dreams are lost, we become disillusioned, we become overwhelmed. And overwhelmed with the sense of loss of this thing, these things, whatever the expectations in the future are. Can you identify with this? Or maybe it's the loss of faith. In these moments, and we feel, and in this moment, they feel the loss of conviction that their lives just don't have meaning. The ongoing pain of loss many times, the ongoing pain, right? The idea of feeling lost many times, it attacks our conviction first of the goodness of God on one level. And then it attacks the reality of God on another. Is God even good? And man, does he even exist? That's where we find ourselves in the context of love. It's very easy. We may, not, we may not give ourselves to that, but we begin to think about it. 
Right? We have this crisis. That's what we call it, a crisis of faith in difficult moments of great loss. Like when, when someone is lost in our life of great importance, when something is lost in our life of great importance, something of expectation that we had, and then there's a loss of faith. We, we question God. We question His goodness. We question His existence. That's, that's natural. It's not abnormal. And so in the moment, right, the sense of loss, a loss of dreams and a loss of faith for these guys on the road to Emmaus, their losses were rolling around in their heads and had cast a dark shadow on everything they had known and experienced. They're human beings. I doesn't necessarily say this, but we recognize as human beings in the context of loss, it always brings a dark shadow. That's why they're downcast. There's this sense of loss that is overwhelming. They're human beings and they're experiencing loss. A shadow comes. You know, food doesn't taste as good. Light's not quite as bright. Everything you feel in the moment, they're experiencing the reality of it. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Life has a shadow over it. This seems impossible to shake. With this in mind, I want us to look at a few things that we see expressed in the life of the disciples that I believe speak to the nature of loss for each of us. And when we see it in them, I want you to recognize as they experience, as they see it, as they, as they feel it, what, there's, what we're going to speak to is the normalcy of it. Like we find ourselves in a season of loss at vintage and a, and a season of restoration, where, but we find ourselves mourning, we find ourselves grieving. And in the context of grief, in the context of, of mourning, there are things that are normal in the context. And I believe we see those things here in the life of the disciples. And I want to name it this morning before we speak to the reality of something over here, a promise from Jesus. The first thing is this, verse 16. It says, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, most, most theologians teach that God shrouded them from seeing Jesus, right? Kind of like that Jedi mind trick, you will not see me type thing, right? Kind of one of those things going on in the moment. But we also know, and possibly I heard someone speak on this one time because it's not super clear in Scripture, the idea of, like, what if really they're, they're blinded so because their grief is so strong they just can't see Jesus? Like, you ever had that moment, like, you're just so overwhelmed and you're so at loss that, that you just can't see reality around you? I don't really know what's going on exactly, but I know in the moment that there's this lack of perception of being able to see Jesus. And what I think we can say in this is that when grief and loss occurs, it's not uncommon. In fact, I would say it is common that in those moments, it's really difficult for us to find and to see Jesus. It's hard for us because of the nature of grief, the nature of sorrow, life changes and we're at a place we don't understand, we can't fathom, does not make any sense, and we're grasping, and Jesus is there, we can't even see. It's like, I'll never forget, and again, these are terrible analogies, I think you'll understand my heart on this. It's like, you know, when a person's out and they start drowning, and someone swims out to them, the person drowning has no idea they're trying to get saved. They're just like clamoring, and they tell lifeguards, be careful, because they may cause you to drown. Sometimes just knock them in the face, whatever it may be, right? It's like, no, I'll do that. But the idea I'm getting at is that sometimes in that moment, like, they're drowning in the moment, and you try to save them. They can't even recognize the person trying to save them. And so in the moment, you have this reality going on that, that they're kept from recognizing him, that this happens to us. We cannot see Jesus so often. Second thing, verse 17, they stood still with their faces downcast. Can't you see the weight of this moment? The weight of the question is so much that it stops them in their tracks. They can't move. They can't function. They can't even look up. Our grief will always cast a shadow. And the thing I want you to see 
they stood still with their faces downcast. Like, in the moment, what you do in culture is that when someone starts speaking to you, what do you do? You look up to them and you begin speaking, but in the moment, they're, they can't even look. Like in the moment, right, that there's this sense of them being downcast, their loss and their grief being so overwhelming, they can barely function and barely relate to others who are around them. Loss makes functioning much harder. And it's common. It's common. It's common for them. The idea is that it's very normal in the context of our own suffering, in the midst of our own grief, in these moments, that there's this downcast, there's this shadow that makes it hard to function. And the third thing is when it says we had hope, we've already named this, right? There's nothing sadder in the story than for me than this phrase, we had hoped. They've lost hope, right? It now means hope is lost. He goes on to say that he had hoped that Christ was the rede- excuse me, that Jesus was the Redeemer, the Christ. Again, putting all his eggs in the Jesus basket, and now they were all lost. Again, consider how they felt in the moment. The person, the prime of his life, it meant more than the world. And it was not only dead, but, it's so, so, but so is every hope that they had placed upon him. They had been shaken to the core of their being, and they're not sure what to do. I simply named these parts of this story because I want to make it, like I want to make these people real. Like you can go into all sorts of places with these things. This morning for us, I believe God's speaking is the sensitivity of his own heart in the moment of recognizing how he designed us in the context of suffering and grief. That we all wrestle through these dark places that cause us to be downcast, that cause us to be overwhelmed, that cause us to lose hope cause us to have a shadow cast over the situation of life, to find ourselves having lost dreams, having lost hope and expectations. But into the moment, there is a promise, a voice of one who cries out in our darkness, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Like I just pulled that out of the Beatitudes, right? Sermon on the Mount type stuff when Jesus comes in. He said, and Jesus comes into the moment. He looks at the fallenness and the the brokenness of humanity. He looks at those who are struggling. He says, I want you to recognize, blessed, I bless those, I pour out blessing on those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Like it's one of those things when I look at Scripture and I read through the nature of who Jesus is, that, that, that he, is a, he is a God, He is a friend, He is a brother who comes into the moment. He says, I find those who are mourning, I find those who are grieving, and I will bless them and I will comfort them because it's what I do. The idea of blessing speaks to his inward state of contentment that Jesus brings that ends up not being impacted by outward circumstances. He says, in the moment, I want to bless you. I want to pour myself out. I want to meet you in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. I want to meet you in the very inner core of who you are. And I'm beginning to comfort you and speak life into you. Jesus promises for those who mourn, he will bring a joy that is sustainable and unable to be impacted by anything outside of us. And here's what I'm getting at this morning. 
When we have the reality of our grief, right, it's overwhelming. The things I named are like, this is a really sad message, Steve, right? It's a beautiful Sunday outside, and we're going into this. What's going on? Because the reality is, as human beings in the midst of our own suffering and loss, we wrestle, we struggle, we grieve, we mourn. It is natural. We were designed that way. But we don't mourn as those who don't have hope. Hope, assured confidence for us that we know Jesus is coming to bless those who mourn, for he will comfort them. I don't, we don't hear Jesus saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We see this in the story. Verse 32, Jesus comes and he's doing like, so what happened in Jerusalem? What's going on? What story do you talk about? Right. And they said, are you crazy? Do you not know what's going on? In verse 32, after Jesus and all this talking says, were not our hearts burning within us? They were unaware of Jesus. They were unaware of his presence. And hear this. This is important. They were unaware of. Of Jesus blessing them in the morning, but they knew their hearts were burning within them. They did not know it was Jesus. They did not know his presence. They didn't know really it was him. They were completely unaware. They just knew something was shifting. Something was stirring. Something was happening. Something was going on. It says, were not our hearts burning within us? Here's the thing I want you to understand about both men in the story. Neither of them knew it was Jesus standing with them. In the midst of their loss of dreams, their loss of faith, in the moment they feel distant from Jesus, a great sense of anguish, there is Jesus in the middle of it, them unaware of it, right? They're literally Literally in the water drowning, and someone's going to sit, coming to save them. They can't even recognize it and don't know that it's Jesus, but he's doing it anyway. Don't lose the power of the moment. They were dying inside. Jesus was with them, blessing them in their mourning, and they didn't know it. This, I believe, is the greatest testament of the faithfulness of God in our lives. He is with you in the midst of your faith, the loss of faith, your, your loss of dreams, your loss of expectations. Even when you don't know it and the entire thing, the entire time, he is moving and he is stirring. He is speaking life, hope, and understanding. In short, he is bringing healing. He is blessing you as you mourn. You see, we wrestle with the loss of faith. Is God even good? Does he even exist? And the entire time... He's moving. Entire time, he's stirring. For all of us, loss is a part of life. The testimony we must embrace is the reality of Jesus with us. Do we believe that? Will we engage the message, the promise of Jesus, even when we can't see him? You see, the point I want to say this morning is that in the midst of this, the problem is, is that God is stirring in very interesting ways many times, and you understand this. God will be stirring in many different ways, and you don't even recognize it's him. You're in a conversation today, and all of a sudden someone speaks something out of middle of nowhere, and you're like, oh, that was, you know, that was really helpful. Or you're watching some random movie, and all of a sudden you like focus in, and something happens in a scene. You're like, 
wow, that just spoke to me in the moment. Or you're listening to the radio station, it's just on because you need, you just need some clutter behind you, and all of a sudden you focus in on something that's said, whether someone's speaking or a song lyric, you don't even know, and all of a sudden like, it encourages you in the moment, right? Or you're sitting there somewhere and all of us listen, or all of a sudden you're sitting there someday, and then some little kid, you don't even know, just runs up to you, wraps their arm around your leg, and just hugs you, and then looks at you. For kind of an awkward amount of time, and you're like, this is awkward, but why is this making me feel better, right? It's like these are all things that have happened in my life in the moment of this moment of sense of loss, whatever it may be. It's like all of a sudden you begin to, and all of a sudden you tune in and go, I wonder if that's Jesus. My point is this, in the context of our loss and our suffering, Jesus is moving. He's blessing those who are more, and he's speaking into places, and you may not even realize it, but he is. And all I'm asking is that you begin to believe God blesses those who mourn. He will comfort them. God, I'm downcast. God, I'm overwhelmed, but I'm trusting that you will come and lift my head, right? I believe and trust God. And I'm asking God where I'm struggling in my faith. I'm asking for help, God. I believe God, help my unbelief. I'm struggling. Help me in my struggles. Whatever it may be, God blesses those who mourn. And we look for him. We look for him. Things to take home this week, just real three simple things. Ask God to open your eyes. Ask God to open your eyes. Whether you feel grief or not, right? These are all three great things to do anyway. Number one, ask God to open your lives. And our loss is Jesus is always speaking. He's always leading us. Even if you can't see him, just ask him to open your eyes. Number two, Mourn your losses. Well, we talked about this last week some, but mourn your losses well. Be honest about where you are. Don't grow resentful. We're hit by losses one after another. It's very easy to become disillusioned, angry, bitter, and increasingly resentful. Be honest about where you are. Be honest about your sadness. Be honest about your depression. Be honest about your struggles. And Share those with the Lord and then share those with somebody else and sit down with the professional if you need to, to have them walk through some of these things with you to get to the other side, to the process of grief, right? Mourning our losses allows us to release the pain and hurt that we've experienced, release its power over us, and move to a place of healing. For some people, it takes minutes. And some people, it takes seasons. Make sure we journey all the way through, no matter how long it takes. And the third thing is slow down and listen for Jesus. We're each at different places this morning in our journey, our own walk to Emmaus. Each of us in some way have been shaken much like these men, but let's commit to go after Jesus, to, to ask for impartation and realize that he truly is a good, good father who blesses those who mourn and comforts who never leaves us but walks with us through our hell, suffering alongside of us, and providing his presence in the midst of our struggles. This morning, healing and restoration. We're going to go into a time of worship this morning, to a time of just allowing Jesus to, to speak and to minister into our hearts. And I recognize some of you are like, man, I'm really don't, I, I mean, I recognize the healing restoration piece. It's not really where I am this morning. I'm not really in the process of grief. That's great, right? 
then take some time this morning and, and just allow God to begin to speak to you about other things going on in your life. But there are those who are wrestling through this morning, through their own suffering and their own grief. They're feeling downcast. They are at this place where a shadow has overtaken them. There, there is a loss in the moment of hope. There's a, a loss of, of, of dreams. And there's the, the loss of faith. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you not to just run away and to settle in that brokenness. But to give yourself this morning to being honest. Getting prayer and going to Jesus and naming those things. But I'm asking this, would you open your eyes, would you lift your head this morning to begin to look at and, and to find Jesus? If you can't lift your head this morning, just ask him to help. Say, Jesus, I can't lift my head. I, I can't lift my eyes today. I can barely make it. God, I need your strength. And I'm asking that you would come today and bless me as I mourn, for I need to be comforted as others around me need to be comforted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. Father, we thank you for the promise that you will bless those who mourn. Father, you will comfort us. And God, I'm asking this morning that you truly would awaken us. pray for our youth specifically, Lord, who God just need, a, they need your grace. God, even in ways that emotionally they cannot connect with God because they're, they're still maturing and still growing. And I pray this morning that you would meet them. I ask, Father, that you would awaken them and open their eyes, God. They would see you blessing them. They would recognize the ways that you're doing that through their friends, through their parents, God, through their youth leaders. God, as we mourn the loss of Amita Claypool, one of our just a, most, one of our favorite people. God, I pray for those Lord, who loved her and knew her well, that you would be with each of us today in that. Thank you, God, today that she is whole and healthy. She is with you, enjoying the fullest measure of every part of life. Pray you bless her. Pray, Father, you'd move in us, God, in her lives. We bless you, Jesus. This morning, in response, obviously we have our offering baskets here and they're available every Sunday. For those of you who came prepared to give this morning, you can do that here in that box out there in a giving kiosk outside. Communion is available every single Sunday, right? To remember the, the gospel of Jesus, his good news. That he came to earth, he died, he resurrected, and he sent his spirit to empower us so that we could then know him and be called brothers and be part of his family. So today we remember that through this. We also have ministry teams available on both sides. And all they want to do today is come alongside you and pray for you. This morning, if you would say, I need someone to come alongside of me and pray with me, we'd love to do that right here. So we're going to worship for a while. I'll come back up in a few minutes and release us. But I invite you to respond this morning. No matter where you are and what's going on, 
I'm going to invite you to slow down in this moment and be with Jesus and allow him to speak into your life. All right, you respond as the Lord leads this morning.